Surprise, surprise. Another episode of the Humble Perspectives podcast being recorded, at least in 2023. When I said after the fourth Sunday Advent podcast that I wouldn't be doing any more this year. Probably this won't be released, though, until early 2024. I believe I have a word that the Lord is asking me to share with you for 2024, especially a word for God's people as we orient ourselves for the tumult to come. On Christmas Eve during our church's worship gathering, I was listening to the familiar words from the prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 9. I was struck with the impulse to look back at a passage in Isaiah 8, so I picked up my Bible, and this is what I read. For thus the Lord, Yahweh in the Hebrew, spoke thus to me with a mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, You are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, and you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts. It is Yahweh of armies in the Hebrew, angelic armies for that matter, whom you should regard as holy. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. He shall be your fear and he shall be your dread. That's Isaiah 8, 11 to 13 from the New American Standard Bible. And I'll be using the New American Standard Bible throughout this unless I tell you otherwise. As I read these verses, I realized that they are sandwiched between two specific prophecies about Jesus, one in chapter 7 and the one in chapter 9. I thought, i got to look at this more carefully. So, being forgetful, I put a reminder in my phone to come back to it later. I got a chance on Sunday afternoon to attentively read through chapters 6 to 9. As I read, I was deliberately conscious of the fact that in the original text, there are no chapter and verse divisions. The flow of thought of Isaiah as he wrote began to unfold more clearly to me. I came to the conviction pretty quickly as I read that I was receiving a message that the Holy Spirit wanted me to hear and really apply in the context of this present time in which we live. And as I've continued to think about the passage, I haven't been able to get it out of my mind this week, I've been stirred to share the word with others. Therefore, here we are with this unexpected podcast episode. Now, I don't think I have to tell you that we live in a time when people fear conspiracies of all sorts and from virtually every direction. There's conspiracies on the right and conspiracies in the middle, and there's conspiracies from the spiritual powers below, and it's just from everywhere. God warns us here not to call conspiracy everything others are calling conspiracy. Now that thought has come to my mind a number of times in the past several years as I've been thinking about things going on here in Winchester, Clark County, Commonwealth of Kentucky, in our nation, and the whole world. 
you just see stuff all over the place, and everybody's afraid. <laughs> it seems like everybody's afraid of someone, and we're analyzing what they're doing and why they're doing it. And now there's no question that some people have bad motives, and people try to do different things and accomplish different agendas that we don't want. But when we're focused there, what I've found is there's no way to focus on things that you can do nothing about without living in anxiety, which is not where God wants us to live. So here in Isaiah, God clearly warns us to center our focus on Him, to put our trust in Him. If we want to fear something, fear Him. That's an appropriate kind of fear. He is awesome. So no matter what troubling things are going on around us, and I can assure you we will have plenty to be troubled about. There's enough going on right now. And then as we get into this election year, it's going to add to the rancor and tumult that we've been experiencing for several years now. So as I get into Isaiah, I, will, I want to start first with something about the historical setting. And then I'll read from some of the passages in 6 to 9. But in it, I'm trying to share with you from my heart what I think the Holy Spirit has put into my heart for myself, I know, and for his people. If you have a Bible and in a place where you can open it, I would encourage you to follow along when I get to Isaiah. I will be given some background material and talking some about it, but I can assure you I'm not trying to be profound I'm not trying to show my intellectual prowess, if I had any, but I will be trying to communicate as clearly as I can what I'm seeing in the scriptures and what I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit. So the book of Isaiah opens this way. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. From this verse, we learn that Isaiah prophesied for a period of at least 40 years because these kings, their reigns spanned those years and more. Uh, and uh, we're focused on kings of Judah because Isaiah prophesied primarily to Judah, although he also addressed other nations, including the northern tribes of Israel the northern kingdom, and his ministry was from about 740 B.C. to probably 680 B.C., somewhere in that area, because that's the span of those kings. We don't know how much of that time he lived and, uh, or anything, but we do know that he addresses things that happen in, during the reigns of these three kings. Now, it's notable that if we look back in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, that three of the kings who reigned during these years did right in the sight of the Lord, Uzziah, Jotham, and Hezekiah. Each of them had their flaws and didn't do some things completely, but they got that commendation. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Of the three, only King Hezekiah the last of Judah's faithful kings, however, completely eliminated author, unauthorized worship, in other words, idol worship, 
and sacrifices in the places that had not been designated, specifically the temple. From He got rid of all of it, apparently. Whatever people did against that, they did in secret. But it's also true that his sons were the last of the kings and they did not do righteously. People's hearts weren't changed because they went back to that worship almost immediately upon his death. But if King Ahaz, we read, he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. Tragically, as we follow Ahaz's life, he followed the way of the northern kingdom, Israel. He worshipped Baal. When he looked at other nations, he would try to worship their gods, apparently trying to appease them. He lived in a time of turmoil when there were wars going on. He lived during the time that uh, the northern tribes were wiped out, actually, and everybody was of any significance was carried away into captivity, and the, and the nation was never restored. Uh, the Assyrian army just took them out. They carried away 200,000 citizens. Ahaz, in the midst of that, did not turn to Yahweh for help, but he turned to the great evil empire of that time, Assyria. And actually, it's Assyria who, who uh, actually eventually, in 722 BC, did the damage to the northern kingdom. And we are also told that Hezekiah ravaged the sanctified utensils that were used in worshiping Yahweh in the temple and locked down the doors of the temple. He did not want Yahweh worshiped while he was king. This is the context in which a significant part of Isaiah's ministry went on. Now we'll say more about King Ahaz when we look into chapter 7. The first five chapters of Isaiah consist of several prophetic words about the future of Judah and Jerusalem. A few of them are words about the ultimate restoration and hope, but mostly they are words indicting the people for their sins and announcing coming judgment on Ju Judah as well. Then in chapter 6, we read that passage that I hope is familiar to you where Isaiah had that awesome encounter with God, with Yahweh of angel armies, angelic armies. In this encounter, Isaiah received his commission. He was called and assigned to warn God's people that judgment was coming on them and that they would, and to tell them that they would refuse to repent. And because they continue to refuse to repent, they would go past the point where repentance was possible. Isaiah was to tell them that the cities of Judah would be decimated and the people removed from their land and that Judah would be reduced to a stump. In chapter 5 Isaiah, uh, the people of Judah are considered or presented in a parable as God's vine, a parable that Jesus used also, but now you're just going to have a stump that's left. As with many Old Testament prophecies, this message had more than one dimension. In part, it was a word for that generation. However, the primary fulfillment came centuries later when most of the Jews rejected Messiah Jesus, who actually quoted from this passage 
this passage at the end, toward the end of Isaiah 6, as to why he spoke in parables, a hearing you won't be able to hear. It's, it's like happened with Pharaoh. The first several uh, plagues that God sent when he was re getting his people out of Israel, it said Pharaoh hardened his heart and wouldn't let them go. But then there came a point where God began to harden his heart. And that happened to the Jewish people in Jesus' day. They hardened their hearts against him. They didn't, in spite of all his signs and miracles and the scriptures that they had, everything that's there, they deliberately chose to reject him to the point where they got, many of them were past the point of repentance. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. The judgment that Jesus spoke against them specifically in Matthew 23, for instance, was consummated. But God is ever faithful to his covenant. And so even this word at the end of Isaiah 6 ends with a really unusual image of hope. The holy seed is its stump. If you wanted to flip back to Isaiah 11, you could see that it picks up this image basically to begin the prophecy about the new creation coming to pass through Messiah Jesus, the branch who will sprout out of the root of Jesse or out of the stump. But we're going to move to Isaiah 7. In Isaiah 7, Yahweh sends Isaiah to King Ahaz with a message that although Judah is being besieged, there's a plot against Judah from the northern kingdom Israel and from the nation of Syria working together, they, were, they are threatening and planning to invade Judah. But God says he's going to shatter them eventually. And of course that did happen through the Assyrians. In the meantime, Ahaz is told, take care and be calm. Have no fear and do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands. It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. They had their plan. They had their conspiracy. They, they, were, they had their purpose, but God said, It shall not stand, nor it shall come to pass. If you, if you will not believe, you surely will not last. Notice that the warning there is not about believing. It's about not believing the word of the Lord, that he's going to have the last word, and that these enemies will be defeated that their plans won't come to pass. You can read that in Isaiah 7, 4 to 9. Yahweh then instructed Ahaz to ask for a sign to confirm this word. But Ahaz simply refused. He gave some kind of religious sounding thing. I'm not going to test God. But he had been commanded by God, and this refusal tried Yahweh's patience to the point that he gave Isaiah another word for Ahaz, and that word began, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now we know that's significant. We read that almost every year during the Christmas season. But we'll come back to it. The word that Isaiah was carrying, that this this thing about the sign and the virgin bearing a son goes on to announce the doom 
which did come upon Syria and Israel a few years later when the Assyrians conquered them. But the prophecy about the virgin giving birth, whatever application it might have had in that time period, we know was ultimately fulfilled by God becoming the human child Jesus, born to the Virgin Mary, more than 700 years after the word was spoken. So Matthew tells us in chapter 1, verses 20 to 23, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who is being conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then Matthew, so that his readers don't miss the point, tells us what the word Emmanuel means. This name means God with us. And of course, I would assume that most of us know that. Most of us are familiar with the song, Emmanuel, Come to Us, that we sing at Christmas time. Great hymn. Now after this word, Isaiah goes on to describe the troubles that are soon going to be experienced by the people of Judah during this time of Ahaz's reign and this time of worshiping idols and and it's it's not a pleasant picture. And then as we move into Isaiah 8 through uh, through the prophet, God continues to address the coming destruction and captivity that's going to happen to Syria and Israel and he makes clear that it will have its impact on Judah although they won't be carried away at that time. Now I'm going to begin reading in Isaiah 8.6 and I'm going to go on and read clear to 9.7 and I'm asking you to listen closely for the repetition of this name Emmanuel. And then after I read the passage I'll come back and comment on it and tell you what I think I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit. So beginning in Isaiah 8.6, Again the Lord spoke to me further, saying, Inasmuch as these people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloah and rejoice in resin and the son of Ramalia, those are the kings of Syria and, and, uh, and the kings that are, gonna, that are plotting this invasion, now therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates. Probably a reference not only to Assyria, but later to Babylon. Even the king of Syria and all Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise up over its channels and go over all its banks. Then it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass through. It will reach even to the neck. And the spread of its wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. What did we say that meant? This is a, a lament, a prophetic lament, that the spread of the wings of this invasion from Assyria, from the area of the Euphrates, will fill their land, even though they're not carried away captive. And yet, here is this word, God is with us. It's your land, Emmanuel prophecy goes on. Be broken, O peoples, and be shattered, and give our ear all remote places of the earth. 
Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand. For God is with us. Again, the word Emmanuel. For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, You are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. You are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary. But to both the houses of Israel a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them. Then they will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will look eagerly for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn, D-A-W-N, they have no light. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn out when they are hungry, they'll be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. But there will be no more gloom for her who is in, was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on he shall make it glorious by way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning. The weapons will be fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to hold it, uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of Yahweh of angelic armies, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will accomplish this. And I conclude there with 9-7. Now two times, first in Isaiah 8-8 8, 8, and then again in 8-10, we are reminded that the center of this dramatic prophetic word about invasions and darkness and yet at the end about God's recovery reminded that at the center of all is Emmanuel, God with us. And from Matthew, we know that this is 
reference to the virgin son, Jesus. So we know that this is not just a word for Judah at the time of Ahab. It's a word for us. As we live in this time between Jesus' ministry on earth and ascension to the throne and that coming time when it will be consummated in his second coming and in final judgment, throughout all this time, while we live in the midst of a dark world, we have to keep in mind that it is Emmanuel, God with us, who is reigning. He is the one with all authority in heaven and earth. It is he whose enemies are being made his footstool. That's the gospel. And so this passage from Isaiah 8, especially, we don't hear uh, all that often, actually provides uh, a number of references and allusions that are mentioned multiple times in other key scriptures several of them in the New Testament. So here's a few examples. Who is this Emmanuel? He's the king of the forever kingdom. Isaiah talks about uh, him shattering the nations. Well, this is, this is what Daniel saw when he interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's vision. He saw the stone that was cut out without hands, the stone that smashed the great idol and shattered the kingdoms of the world the stone which became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. That stone is the king, eternal kingdom of God, which Jesus Christ inaugurated and established, and over which he is reigning, even while his enemies are being made his footstool. He's at the center of what's going on in the world. Prophesied not only by Isaiah, but many of the prophets. He's at the center of it. In 8.17, it is the virgin son, Emmanuel, God with us, who is our sanctuary. In him alone we find deliverance and refuge. 8.7, I think I meant to say there. In 8.14 to 16, it's the virgin son, Emmanuel, God with us, who's the sign to be opposed as just like Simeon prophesied in Luke 2.33 and 34. It's Emmanuel, God with us, who's the stone on whom we will either fall in humble brokenness or else, else be crushed, as Jesus warned the Pharisees in Matthew 21, 42 to 44. He's the stumbling stone that the Jews stumbled over, many of them. Some of them turned to him, but it's referred to in Isaiah 28, 18 and Romans 9, 31 to 32. In 8.18, it is the virgin son, Emmanuel, God with us, who brings us to the Father, saying, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me. Quoted in Hebrews 2.13. It is the virgin son, Emmanuel, God with us, who came from the Lord of hosts, from Yahweh of angelic armies, doing signs and wonders that pointed to God's dominion over creation, over disease, over deformity and death. And in 8, 19, and 22, then, we describe, is a description not only of the times that Ahaz lived in, but it's a description of the darkness in the fallen world around us. Man, when you look at the, the things people are turning to, to try to find truth and try to find their way, and some of them trying to find comfort and peace, and what is God saying to us? Look to God. 
Look to the law and the testimonies. It's God who will lead us on the right path through the darkness of this age. There is hope. There is glorious light. Zebulun and Naphtali were the northern edge of Israel that were swept away with Syria. The area around the western side or the eastern side of Jordan, the area of Galilee of the Gentiles. What are these areas? They're the areas where Jesus grew up. They're the areas where Jesus did most of his miracles and most of his teaching. The light came even to them. Came in the person of the virgin son, Emmanuel, God with us, who is the eternal son of God. The son has been born. The son has been given. The son conquered from the cross. The son reigns at the father's right hand. As Isaiah says in chapter 9, there'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore. How do we know? Because the zeal of the God of angelic armies will accomplish it. You can't get any more secure than that. Brothers and sisters, all the plans and the efforts of the wicked will be thwarted. None of their proposals will stand. Why? God is with us. Emmanuel has come. As we enter 2024, whatever it may bring, let's get our eyes on reality. Even if tumult surrounds us, which all the indications are at will, God is saying to us, don't put your focus on the foolish, futile, wicked plans of people and nations. Although we live in the midst of darkness, we've seen the light. We are the children of light. In it all, although we can't see it with our physical eyes, we can't discern it with our intellect, we have seen the light. We have seen the truth. We have seen the reality that of the increase of his government and peace, there is no end. Whether we can see it or not, we have his word on it. The zeal of the God of angelic armies will accomplish the fact that his kingdom is now increasing. His peace is now increasing. So Jesus says to us from in John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. Through Isaiah our God says, Don't walk in the way of this people. Don't say it's a conspiracy in regard to all that they call a conspiracy. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be in dread of what they're in dread of. Man, how hard is it right now to not live in fear and dread? But Isaiah would remind us, Yahweh would remind us through Isaiah, it is the Lord of hosts. It is Yahweh of angelic armies whom you should regard as holy. He shall be your fear. He shall be your dread. And then he shall become a sanctuary. He'll be our refuge. He'll be our place of security. No matter what's happening to us, no matter what's happening around us, no matter what we're going through, He is our help and our strength. He is our strong tower. In Him, we have a secure anchor. We can live at peace. Now, I'm not just preaching at you. This is the word of the Lord to me, that I, I need to rise to a, 
a different place as I go into 2024. Practically speaking, I exhort you do what I've done the past several years. Turn off the 24-hour endless verbal chatter that we call news. People talking about things they can do nothing about and can't fully understand and give an opinion about this, an opinion about that. Turn it off. Let us get our perspective from the words of God, not the foolishness of men. Let us turn to the scriptures, as my friend Paul Clark has recently put out a song. Look it up on YouTube or on Apple or Spotify or somewhere, but it's called Sharpen the Axe. But it's a prophetic word to us to get our nose in the right place where we're looking for the right thing in the words that God has given us and get our faith in Him. I'm looking at Psalm 119 these days. Here are a few verses from there in 28 to 32. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false way from me. Graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way. I've placed your ordinances before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments for you will enlarge my heart. Then again in 37 to 38, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity. Help me, Lord, to quit paying attention to the futile, foolish things that men are doing in the dark and in this dark age. And then the psalmist goes on and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. And then this great word from 89 to 93. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You established the earth and it stands. They stand this day according to your ordinances for all things. How many has he left out? None. All things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. Turn to God and turn off all the sources. It's not just news sources. God help us to break the habit, to break the addiction of social media and devices. And yes, Use them as tools, but not be used by them and not be caught up with them. God help us. I close with this prayer. Our Father, in the name of your Holy Son, Jesus, I ask you to help us be a people of peace. Oh God, help us to be a people who can live in confidence, serenity, no matter what may transpire around us and no matter what you allow us to go through. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to embody peace and to offer the peace of God to the people around us who are trapped in the futile plans and conspiracies that abound in these times. Oh God, thank you for shining your light on us and let the light of your peace the same peace that the angels declared on the night of Jesus' birth. Let it, Lord, resound and let it echo 
from us and through us and be a a draw, be a word of invitation, a word of encouragement to people to pull out of fear and dread and come into the security of knowing you and your eternal purposes. Amen. May God give you a joy-filled 2024.